Hello and welcome to another episode of Daf Shui, Weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so and I'll give you a Daf or so. Today is just about Lagbomer as I'm recording this and also as I'm recording this, we're hearing reports coming out of Miron in Israel, a pilgrimage site for on Lagba Omer, the 33rd day of the counting of the Omer between Pesach and Shavuot is a pilgrimage site because Shimon Bar Yochai, the imputed author of the Zohar, the central text of the mystical tradition, is buried there, supposedly buried there. In any event, we are hearing reports that at least 20 people were seriously injured or killed and another 100 people injured, what seems to be a stampede at the site during the festivities for Lagba Omer. We're holding them all in our hearts. We're hoping that their families gain some comfort. There's nothing to say. It's awful. So today's learning should be for their souls. Okay, um, let's start. On 63A in Baba Batra, about five lines from the top of the printed edition, which was originally typeset in Vilna, Lothis, 150 years ago by the widow and brothers Rome. Here we go. We're going to be talking today about air rights and subterranean rights, which is kind of an odd thing and continues to this day. In other words, when you build a house, when you buy a house, do you own the air rights above the property or the land rights beneath the property? Fascinating question. In other words, can you nowadays, it is assumed that you do. So if you have a, a house, and let's say in the place that you have a house, people are allowed to build up to 10 stories. Your house is two stories. Does that mean that you can sell those eight stories of air rights to somebody else? Does that mean that nobody can go in that? Or maybe your air rights continue up to the sky. Does that mean you can stop planes from flying over your house? Or underground. If you buy a house and there's an underground bunker, if there are miner if there are minerals, oil they run under your house, if there's a water channel under your house, do you own that channel because you have house on top of it? No. Those things come into play with water rights cases, but also subways. Can public institution or can a private institution stop a subway from being built 500 feet underneath a subway tunnel from being built 500 feet underneath its property? Or does it own those properties? So that's those are the question, ultimate, ultimate implications of air rights and subterranean rights. But we're, the hour sugi is a little more minimalistic than that. We're talking about immediate top or bottom, but we'll get there in a minute. First, we're going to talk about, first, we're going to continue a little more with some legal language. So it's obvious that if somebody says, now that somebody, it's not clear who, I mean, it could be somebody who's dying and is dividing up their, their estate. It could be just a person giving out a present. In the case of somebody dying is, is, is better in the sense of, well, it's not better that somebody's dying, but it's better in the sense of it's more, it's clearer in the, in the legal sense because then you can't ask them afterwards what do they mean, right? So, yeah, so somebody, X person, Ploni means John Doe, 
right? Somebody should have a, a chilek in my estate, palga. So that means half. And that, the question there is, what does yachalok mean? And does it mean chilek as in one half or just chilek as in um, lechalek in, in half or just a piece? So that's going to be the question here. So yachalok poni benachasai, if you just say divide, so then it's a half. But what happens if you just say, give Plony, give John Doe a piece of my estate? Then what does that mean? Is that the same? It's the same word. It's the same root, ultimately. I'm Ravina Barkisi. Ravina Barkisi, a Babylonian Amora, said, Tashma, come in here. Titania, there is a brighta. If somebody says, give Plony a part of of my well, meaning a part of, and most of the Rishonim understand this, is meaning a part of the water in my cistern, right? Some people say it's a, a cistern of wine and not water, neither here nor there. And some people are getting more dramatic. Rabbi Gershom says it's like in the middle of nowhere, you have a desert, somebody brings out water to the cistern and holds it there. But if somebody says you have X, a part of or a piece of my the water in this well. Sumchus Omer, so Sumchus, a, a Palestinian sage, says, Sumchus is probably a originally a Greek name, Simachus. So that's like having an English name nowadays. But he's called by Sumchus. So Sumchus Omer ain't pachot miravia. So that means, Sumchus says, if you say that, he doesn't get less. So if somebody says, give Plony part, a chilek, part of my, of the water in my cistern, Simcha says that he doesn't get any less than a quarter. Why a quarter? Because apparently most of the Rishon, most of the commentators say it's because Mamon had mutal besafek cholkim. There's a principle that if there is money or property or any kind of resources that are in doubt, because we don't know what ultimately is the is 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 the point here, like what ultimately it means chilek. So then, cholkim, you divide it, you divide that nav against use the, the principle uses the same word cholkim. So therefore, Simcha says that we don't know when he said if he meant a half, or if he meant just a piece. So we say, give him a quarter, which is a half of that which is in doubt, because it's in doubt whether or not he get a half or not. So ain pachot merivil Simcha says he gets no less than a quarter lechavit, ain pachot mishmini. What if he says give this person a part of a jug of the water. Then a jug of water is apparently, and the riff says we have no idea what these what these quantities are, so we'll be a little more relaxed about it. But the chavit apparently is a half of the bore of the cistern, and then a half of that is a quarter, and that's what's in doubt. So therefore he says, and they divide that, you don't, he doesn't get any less than an eighth. Continuing on with the math, a kedera, a kind of a, a a smaller bucket, a smaller receptacle for the water. He gets no less than a twelfth. And a cup, which is apparently even less, an eighth of what's going on in, in the bore. He half of an eighth, and then half of that he gets sixteen. He gets one sixteenth. Gets no less than one sixteenth. If he said, give so-and-so a tafiach of my water. Okay. 
So that tells us that when going back to the question, what does it mean? That would mean uh, not less than a quarter. If you give a give a chelak uh, to Ploni in my in my estate, that would mean that he gets no less than a quarter because that would mean that it is half of the estate is in doubt and therefore a quarter. Okay, so now we're moving on. Ben Levi a Ben Levi, a, a Levite who sold a field to an Israelite and said to him, on condition that, in other words, I'm selling it to you, on condition that the Maserishon, the first tithe, comes to me. In other words, the tithe that goes to a Levi comes to a Levite, comes to me, Maserishon Shalom. So the law is that that first tithe is his. So here's a couple of things to know, basically, one thing to know which is that while the tithes have to be given to the Levites, no specific Levite could demand that the tithe be given to him. Right? If I come to your field, and I'm a Levite, and I say, okay, give me the tithe, you can say, give me the tenth the portion, that, the portion that belongs to me, you can say, it doesn't belong to you, I'm giving it to Joe Levite over there. Right? You have, this is actually also the proof that the opposite of rights and obligations are not two sides of the same coin. Because while I have, while you have an obligation to give a tithe, I don't have a right to that tithe, to that tenth. It could, you, could give, you could give that tenth to anybody you want. Okay, but here, the Levite, so the Levite's smart. He's selling his field to an Israelite. And he says, I'm selling it to you on the condition that the tithe is mine. V'imamar li ulevanai, and if he says the tithe, on the condition that the tithe is mine and my children, so and I died, or the Levite died, then the tithe goes to his children. And if he adds on to it, on condition that the tithe is mine, as long as the field is under your hand, you own the field, machra, and the other guy sold it, and then he again bought it back. So then, at that point, the Levite has no claim. So here, what's the case? Levi, the Levite, a good name for a Levite, sells his field to Shifra, but says to Shifra, I am selling this field to you on condition that I get the tithe, the first tithe. Not only me, but also my children. So up until now, okay. As long as it stays in your hand, Shifra. Okay. Now Shifra goes and sells that field again. Because, I don't know, for whatever reason, needs the money. But then she gets a windfall and she buys the field back. At that point, Levi has no claim on the field, on Shifra's field. Now the question is, why? What happened in that back and forth? Am I? Why? The Gemara asks, the Stam asks. Why? So here the question is, why not, when you get it back, why you don't have it, but rather, in the original case, on the condition that the tithe belongs to me, how could that be? A person cannot acquire something that's not yet in the world. So in other words, a futures contract is completely invalid, according to rabbinic law, because I can't make a, an, I can't acquire something that's not yet in the world. 
and it's Dafka acquire. We'll see that in a minute. Kevan Damarle Amenachim Aserishon Shali Shirei Sharim Lemakom Aser. So therefore, so actually, what's going on? How can the how can Levi say to Shifra on condition that I get the tithe and he gets the tithe? Because he says to when he says to her on condition that I get the tithe, what he's actually saying is I am retaining the part of the field in which the tithe grows for myself, and he's allowed to do that. In other words, when I sell property, I can retain part of the property. I can say, I am selling you this whole field, except for that apple tree. And then also we learned in the last paragraph that when you say that, it's not only apple tree, but also the land around the apple, a little bit of land around the apple tree. It's not like the apple tree is poreach bavir, is going to have to float in the sky. Okay. So then, Amar Reish Lakish, then Reish Lakish, a Palestinian Amora, says, Zotomer, this means... If one sells one's house to one's fellow and says to the fellow, on condition that the upper floor is mine, so the upper floor is actually mine. In other words, on the condition that I retain the upper floor, so I do, so I do retain the upper floor. Right? So now we're going to question why, how does this come out of that? Right? It's because if I can say, as long as the Maseri shown, the tithe belongs to me, and that means that I can retain part of the field, so then I can retain the upper floor. What's the, what is the legal implication of this? Rav Zid said, what this means is that not only do I, does he, do I get to retain the upper floor, but if I want to put a protrusion out over the chatzer, over the courtyard, over the air rights, which we haven't really gotten to yet, but over the air rights, I can do that. Rav Papa says that this means that if I have the upper floor and I want to build another floor on top of it, I can build it. So then the Stam asks, Bishlama Rav Zvid, so Rav Zvid makes sense. That's why he says Zotamer. In other words, this is why Reish Lakish is deriving this. Just as the Levi can retain the tithe, the field which, which uh, nurtures the tithe, grows the tithe, so too does the, the owner reta- retain the rights, in other words, to put protrusions. El Rav Papa, my Zotamer. But for Rav Papa, that doesn't make any sense because you already have the the uh, duta and all you're doing is just building on top of it. There's nothing more there, so it's not a zoto marriage. You're not. You've already retained the upper floor. You're not getting anything more kasha. So the stam says this is actually difficult, and we're not going to answer it. We will, however, answer it at the end of the sugya. But for now, we're going to go on to something else. Of course. Now, just a minute on Endamaknandavarlam. This is accepted as a simple halacha, a simple law, a straightforward law by the by Maimonides, by Rambam in Mishnah Torah, where he just says, A person cannot acquire something that has not come into the world, whether it is in a sale or a gift, or even a gift of somebody who is is dying. What does this mean? If a person says what this field will grow is sold to you, what this tree will produce is given to you. Give, here I have this cow, 
give whatever this cow gives birth to to Joe. So the person didn't buy, didn't acquire any of any of that. This week's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Plugta, the original social conflict consultancy. Ever wonder how to resolve those awkward social situations where you were throwing a party and you invite one person? but you meant to invite another person? And you really liked the one person, but you ended up inviting the person you really hated? Because their names were really close, and your fingers are really fat, and they hit the wrong name, and then you left a message, and the wrong guy came to the party, and now what do you do? Well, let me tell you. Plugto was created for just those situations. With their patent-pending Compton by Compton method and their JBID solutions, that is, just burn it down, you won't have to worry about these situations anymore. You will be able to enjoy your parties without the pesky people who just want to poop on your party. And the best thing is, the JBID solutions give you maximal deniability, so when things go south, you aren't even there. And now, for listeners of this podcast, a special offer. If you contact us through our website, www.plugta.com slash you get half off on your first social disaster. That's www.plugta.com dafshui. All right. Amar Abdimi mi Nardai. Abdimi from Nardai says the following. Hi, man. A person who sells their house to the friend. Even though he says, he writes in the deed, in the contract of the sale, even though he writes the depths and the heights, he has to write, I acquire it, I acquire it from, or I sell it to you from Tahomara, the depths of the earth. Adrum Rakia until the heights of the heavens. Okay, now this is referring to the next Mishnah. Which we haven't gone up to the next Mishnah. It says, Lo etaborblo tadot afal pisha katavlo umkavaruma. Not and if a person buys a house, he doesn't buy the cistern or the other water holding place underneath the house, even though he wrote in the deed. Umka, which means the depths, and Ruma, which means the heights. Now, what's interesting here is, aside from everything else that we're going to talk about in a minute, is that the language of contracts apparently was Aramaic. That's why it doesn't say Omek and Rum or Gova, which are the Hebrew words for depth and height. It says Umka Varuma, which are the Aramaic words. So apparently Aramaic was at least the legal language that was used at that time, at the time that Mishnah was written. Okay. So Dimi takes that line in the mission and he says that even though he wrote Umkavaruma, he has to write Knilach mitahom ara va'adrum rakia. He has to write in order for him to get Umkavaruma, in order for him to get what is underneath and what is on top, the subterranean and the aerite, he has to say from the depths of the land until the heights of the heavens. My time, a why? To umka varuma bestama because he just says umka and ruma, depth and height, it does not acquire. There is no acquisition. Ahani umka varuma lemikne umka varuma. Vahani mitom aravadrum rakia lemikne bor vidot mechilot. So umka varuma is enough to buy umka varuma, and umka varuma apparently depth and height is nothing. But it is enough, it is efficacious to buy the depth and the height, but. Tahom Arab Adrom Rakia, the depths of the earth and, and the heights up to the heavens, that is efficacious to acquire the cistern and the, the uh, 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 other types of water holding 
spaces and 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 underneath and, and tunnels underneath the house. Lema misayele. So let's say that there is that we can support this conclusion from the next mission of tabor because it says in the Mishnah that he does not acquire either the cistern or the other water storage places, even if he writes the depth and the height. And if you would think that if he just writes umkovaruma, he is, does acquire lehani umkovaruma So that should be effective enough to acquire the cistern and the uh, water keeping places and tunnels, which are not written just by writing umkovaruma. And it does, however, it says in the Mishnah, even if he wrote Um Kovaruma, he doesn't acquire them. So therefore, Hachikamar, this is what he says. Even if he didn't write, it's as if he wrote in order to acquire just the depth and the height. However, if in order to acquire the cistern and etc., he has if he wrote the depth and the height, he acquires. But if he didn't, he didn't acquire. Now we're going to go in a minute and talk about Ruma. But here it seems to be saying that if he writes Umkovaruma, it gets you another step forward to acquiring underneath. It says in our Mishnah, and not the roof at the time when there is a fence around the roof, which is 10 tefach high, about 60 inches. And if you're saying that, if you just say, stam, generically, umkavaruma, below and above, when it is ten tefachim, so what does that do? Why is that different? So the Stam answers, once it is ten tefachim, it is considered as a different unit, as something independent, chashiv. Right? It's counted as something independent. So therefore, it's not when you say house, you don't include it. So now we go back, now we go the the final, the punchline of the whole. So Amrle Ravina the Ravashi, so Ravina says to Ravashi, Later, Babylonian Amoraim. Tashma, come in here. So now the Tashma is now quoting, actually, the Reish Lakish that we had in the beginning of the Sugya. Dama Reish Lakish, Reish Lakish says, This says that one who sells a house to their fellow and said to him on the condition that the upper space is mine. So the upper space or the upper level is is his. And the Gemara there asks, so what is the halachic implication of that? And then the Gemara says, If he wanted to put protrusions, build protrusions out, so he's allowed to. And Rav Papa says that if he wanted to build on top of it, he builds. And if one would think that if you just say umkavaruma, it's not 
one does not acquire acquire this. He says just depth and height. So why does it? Why does? Why does he need? Why does he need almanat? In other words, so here we're looking at from the other point, right? From the seller, the point of view of the seller, right? That he says, why does he say almanat um, Why does he have to say in order that the the top level remains mine, even though I'm selling you the house? If we say that if you don't, if you just sell it without saying umkabaruma, without specifying, so it's not sold. Why do I, why do I have to specify that the top level remains mine? So the Stam answers So what it's effective for is if that top level collapses, there's like a little tremor, a temblor, as if you will, and that top floor collapses. Are you allowed to rebuild it? Right. If it's you, you don't acquire it, but then let's say it goes away. So then, who retains the rights to that space? So Alminat, if you put in that condition that it is mine, so then even if it falls apart, you can actually rebuild it. You still have retain the rights to rebuild that place. Okay, one more note. There seems to be a difference in both the manuscripts and in the Rishonim about whether or not there is a new Mishnah here, or whether the next Mishnah is part of the first Mishnah. Now, having the next Mishnah as part of the first Mishnah would explain why there was this lengthy discussion of Umkovaruma, which is part, which is the first line in the next Mishnah. It seems that the Me'iri, I mean, the Me'iri had, seems that to have it as part of the first Mishnah, and a number of manuscripts have it as part of the Mishnah. Other manuscripts have it as part, as a whole nother Mishnah. And so we stop here before the next Mishnah in the printed editions of the Rome printing press, the Widow and Brothers Ram. And that's where we're going to stop. Thank you so much for joining me in the Beit Midrash in the Closet for this time, for this daf, for this learning, taking refuge here. Uh, my name is Aryeh Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T. As always, I want to thank my producer, Ellie Unger Sargon, so much. And please check out his podcast, uh, Four Cubits, with Jeff Helmreich. And of course, my wonderful Chavruta, Charlotte Van Robert. Thank you. And the communications team at Daf Shui, Shachar Khan Hodas, who produced the amazing Daf Shui logo. If you want to get in touch with me, the widow and the brothers at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Be well, be safe, and hopefully you will join me again next week in the Beit Midrash in the Closet.